I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian and writer Dane Baptiste, my producer friend, Howard Cohen, a.k.a. The Hizzer. Hello. And Ofe, a.k.a. O-Town on the Decks, and a very special mix of special guests, pose the questions that need to be asked. And we are talking everything from democracy to corptocracy to autocracy to theocracy. To, should I have stuck with piano and learnt it? Because I didn't. Yeah, to, to yeah, music, I feel musicality. Like, yeah, I made a mistake there, I think. It's, it's never I, too late. I feel like it is. You're giving up on yourself. There's that lack of self-belief which probably affected your lessons in the first place. <laughs> so the Good question point. is, would I have fared better if I had more of a motivator behind me pushing me to excel at piano? That's a different question, but yeah. fine. Well, I'm a grade seven triangle, so... Okay. You know, if you want to learn anything... Interesting. I, where it comes to percussion, I'm a grade seven We can come back to that at another point. Grade nine Chinese blocks. But anyway, we we asking, ask all the questions. All the questions. All the questions. And with that in mind, on today's show, our guest is an award-winning writer, columnist, and political and environmental activist. He writes a weekly column for The Guardian newspaper. He's the author of numerous books, including Feral and Captive State, The Corporate Takeover of Britain. He's also the founder of The Land is Ours, a campaign for the right of access to the countryside and resources in the United Kingdom. It's the vital voice and mind of George Monbiot. Now, I said that right? I was going to say, how do, you, how, how do we pronounce your name officially? Monbiot. Monbiot, Monbiot is even nicer. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, and those of you who don't identify along heteronormative terms, it's George Monbiot. How are you doing, George? All right. Thank you so much for coming. Welcome to the show. Thank you. That was a big introduction. It's a big and justified introduction. Mm. And, and I have to say, it, 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 it's worth flagging up that this might be the, I think one of the first times that we've got someone on the podcast who is, is a writer for one of the major newspaper outlets uh, in the UK. Uh, we've talked to some people about coming on the show. We have discussed, yeah. They're endlessly non-committal. Uh, and so it's amazing to have someone who's uh, who's, who's winning because you know they, they they know you're a comedian, Dane. Yeah, and that and that exactly. might put them off. But I don't know why. You know, I'm sure they are used to ridicule if anyone that is involved as a columnist or uh, maybe active on social media hmm. should be used to ridicule. Um, one uh, particular, uh, I guess, uh, pundit, social media pundit, uh, declined an offer to come on the show. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to release their name. Let's call them uh, Bakey Jopkins. Yeah, oh, yeah, turned it yeah. down, turned it down. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. She's you, an amazing woman. <laughs> you, you, think, you, you think that, you know, somebody who's not afraid to say what they think uh, and is a well-renowned outrage porn star would, uh, mm. would be happy to come down and discuss their views, but they didn't want to. No, it didn't so, happen. I put that down as a win, personally. Well, well, in the long run, we may get her back, who knows. But it is interesting for us, because I don't know if you felt coming here today... Uh, because it's a comedian, uh, whether that's, oh God, it's a comedian, that we won't be able to take this seriously. They won't take anything seriously, or because a lot of you, you know, what you do is serious stuff, you know. 
Not said that comedy can't be serious. Yeah, I mean, but then, you know, comedy is tragedy plus timing. So, you know, there's a... (laughs) There's a lot of that at the moment. Yeah, certain aspects of your campaigns, which in a few years may be quite laughable. Or maybe some of the rebuttals will be laughable. Well, all my campaigns will be mistimed. Just tragedy. Well, I mean, still, there's a lot of time to go. So maybe the tragedy, with the more timing, it'll be fine. It will make sense. Then it'll turn into comedy. It repeats itself as comedy. This is it. This is how how the Mm. world works, I'd like to think. It's this rationalisation. It's part of the human psyche, I suppose. It's why yeah. you use laughter to get over stuff. We we should we should have a question. Let's have a question, and, have and, a, and as traditional as tradition, as our very esteemed guest, uh, you uh, we invite you to ask the first question. So my question is: Should we bring economic growth to an end? Hmm, mm. that's a serious question. Well, the reason I'm asking it is that. Everything we're seeing, the great big pile-up, the massive environmental cock-up we're seeing worldwide, uh-huh. is basically being driven above all else by economic growth. Yes. Now, economic growth is the religion of our times. You question it, immediately people start screaming at you, even if you just ask the question. Yep. I mean, actually, I'm quite grateful no one has yet screamed at me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'm sure there's people at home doing so right now. But... If you look at the last 40 years, our use of resources worldwide has tripled. So triple the use of the minerals, the timber, all the stuff with the oil we're digging out the ground, um, and, of course, you know, the pollution that comes from it. People say, well, you know, you can have growth without all that stuff. You can do what they call decoupling, where they say, you know, you, you can have the invisible economy growing and it doesn't use materials just doesn't happen that way. No. You know, I know environmental consultants who make a good living from encouraging companies to go green. And what do they do with that good living? Oh, they buy themselves a flight to go to Thailand and have a great <laughs> holiday. And they might buy themselves some fancy car. It might have a battery. You know, it might be an electric car. But, you know, where do all the components come from? Where exactly. does lithium come from? And it just... And, and at the moment, you know, we're using about 70... Uh, billion tons of resources per year which is uh the sustainable levels about 50 if um even if you have the maximum possible decoupling by 2050 it's going to be 95 and you know and if you don't have the maximum possible it's going to be 130 150 180 wow. i mean this is way way off the scale and they say, oh, well, we don't want that much growth. We only want 3%. And you say, well, 3% growth, that's a doubling of economic activity every 24 years. So already we've got this massive global environmental crisis because of the amount of stuff we're using, a lot of which is completely useless. You know, the, the, mm. half the economy relies on selling total junk to people, you know, rubbish. No one needs it. It goes straight in the bin. Um, you know, after you've looked at it and tittered for a bit, you know, bang, straight in the bin. And already we're breaching environmental limits. So you want to double that again in 24 years Mm. and then double it again in 48 years. So that's four times, quadruple, what we've already done to the planet in 48 years. I mean, where's how are we going to do it? It's so in our culture, right? Can I just say before we begin, George, where you been? All these dinner parties I've been getting laughed out of (laughs) for reading too deeply into this stuff. I would have loved all of these statistics then because I've been saying to people, discussing these issues about economic growth and and that being done through the paradigm of raw capitalism 
is a faith-based system which can't continue, which depends on exploitation of what are finite resources. I've been saying this for ages, and people look at me like I'm fucking insane. And now, finally, someone actually gets it. So I'm just going to say, fucking finally. <laughs> Jesus Christ. People, people yeah. look at you. I mean, I've been, I've, not the same ones, but I've been at them. And there's this silence, and then someone says, nice pizza. Yeah. Oh, you know, it's just this, yeah. you can't. People can't handle it. It's well, it's like it's, it's like you've said God is mm, dead. It's like yeah. you, you know you're in, in, in the mid 18th century, mm. and you've got all your people around in their periwigs and their high heels around the table and their beauty spots, mm. and you say, "Oh, by the way, God's dead." Yeah, it's the same yeah. reaction. <laughs> That you get. It's fascinating I mean, because say, I, yeah, I, I've been having a conversation. With growth. Yeah, I've been having a conversation with my my wife about. Occasionally, we'll walk past a uh, major restaurant chain of some description, mm-hmm. and I'll go, "Look at that! I can't. You know what? Why? Actually, I'm going to name one. I'm going to name Subway. Right mm-hmm. now, Subway to me, and I'm sure you've enjoyed a Subway in your life, many listeners out there. Apart from Subways that don't use Subway card points, like what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> How dare you call yourself <laughs> well, a franchise? Yeah, was, How am I supposed to build up and get my foot long, or maybe my cookies? <laughs> wasn't quite the issue I was going to raise, but I know, yeah, I know but what just, you're saying. Just, just adding yeah. fuel to the fire of their of their yeah. wasteful <laughs> practices. The wasteful practices, but the but the, but the idea that a sandwich shop, you know, like what that's such an amazing independent thing to be able to do, right? Any a culinary entrepreneur could make their own sandwich. So the idea that these subway and you, and you look at that and you think, God, the amount of waste that goes into those chains, like the amount of bags of shit they, and it just amazes me that that is like you talk about economic growth. Those kind of chains, that's all they're focused on, right? They're not, they're not like, oh God, I can't, you know, it must be a sustainable business operation. Well, you know, it's not sustainable. Sorry, Tinto, it's not sustainable. And what makes it even worse is that like. Uh, just over here in a quick talk by Noam Chomsky where he's like if people think these issues so far as asylum seekers as a result of war and you know people that flee in combat is an issue then as this continues changes to climate and in ecological damage means the amount of environmental and ecological migrants you're going to see moving just to escape drought and global starvation and famine from like changing climate and scarcity of resources it's going to be even worse and even the fact that people that do champion economic growth a lot of time in that same vein or in that same narrative are people that are all for immigration control now if you are someone that is for the idea of continued economic growth that is supplemented by the use of or the exploitation of cheap labour, whether it's through outsourcing or from the use of migrant workers. So you can't be somebody that's in denial of climate change or someone that is pro-economic growth and then be anti, within a capitalist you know, mm. economic structure, against immigration because you need immigration in order for your economy to grow. So you can't have it both ways. But this is the issue with economic growth is that we've created a reality whereby people can have it both ways and you don't no longer have the for mechanism now. of supply and demand. What you have is supply and demand, mm. whereby like you'll see stuff like... I remember Robinsons were making these little uh, sachets where you squeeze it into a bottle mm. and then that's squash. Yeah. But then there's a fucking bottle of squash at home. So then why not use that? Yeah. And even the fact that like... it's And again, it's, it's this fact that capitalism is able to triumph even over our reality, which is why I liken it to a faith system. It's completely accurate, especially because of the fact that Adam Smith, when he was purporting the idea of capitalism, said that it would be a divine hand that would rearrange the mechanism if it begins to fail. So capitalism doesn't really make any sense Mm. because of the fact that it's not a function of you getting a return on your investment where labor is concerned because if that was the case the more you work the more you would make but we all know that most people that are involved at primary or secondary industry who do most of the work whether it's in agriculture or in manufacturing do not realize the uh, bulk of uh, capital gain Mm. through commerce so 
that doesn't make sense anyway as a model. So for me, it's like, I think, yeah, maybe we should halt economic growth completely, or at least... Mm. How would that look, though, is the question, I suppose. Well, number one, we can at least just stop fucking using plastic. Mm. When we, we are aware that there are alternatives. You have, like, hemp plastic, which is biodegradable. You have a number of different... You have a number of different alternatives to using plastic. Mm. So all we need to do is say, in the same way that we all know that, you know, you have cigarette bans or smoking bans places, just have a plastic ban. Instead of trying to continue to observe economic growth by taxing the use of plastic bags... Just ban them. Mm. But the, I suppose the thing is, in, in the in the world that you know you've looked at, George, and the kind of I don't know the amount of research you do, does it seem like anyone is willing to consider this, this is a viable option? How, are there people kind of coming around to that way of thinking? Yeah, I mean things are beginning to shift. Even some governments. I mean, the Labour government in New Zealand is talking about we've got to get away from growth as our measure of well-being. Now, you know, how they implement that is another question, but they're talking about it, and that's the first step. At least you know, the first step it. is always to acknowledge there's a problem. One, mm. you acknowledge there's a problem. Two, you accept that if there's a problem, something needs to be done about it. Three, you start looking for solutions. Mm. Yeah, and, and, but it's that step one, which is a huge step, that so many people find it difficult even to get over. Them. Just acknowledging that it's a problem, because this is... The religion of our times. Well, do you think that's the religion of completely? And that is the thing, and it's shaking these people's faith in the idea that you know, like any theologian, they're going to in the afterlife ascend to a greater sense of existence. They feel everyone feels that by continuing to allow this capitalist system to perpetuate, they'll be able to realise their monetary Mm. dreams as well. Mm. That's the thing about the American dream is the reason why. And it was Patricia O'Neill, a comedian, said that the reason why this will all continue is because people think that they can be a part of this higher echelon yeah. of society as well. This is the problem. So, so to me, like part of it really, and it might be quite, you know, fatalist, I feel like, you know what? Maybe they need to fucking continue and this uh, rampant economic growth with no control. Because what I'm seeing, and when you even hear about conspiracy theorists talking or discussions and stuff, is that, you know, the idea of closing borders and stuff is that people are like, well, resources are limited, which is how uh, economics works. And then, you know, you read a, a book like Free Economics, whereby at the end of the book, they start talking about, you know, the scarcity of uh, overpopulation and the scarcity of resources. And so the population needs to decrease. So what people are talking about is essentially genocide or eugenics and saying, you know, because there's not, not enough to go around, then some people are going to need to die. But then if you've not even worked out any method of, you know, replenishing your resources or coppicing and replacing what you're using, mm. that doesn't matter if you kill off a bunch of people. Mm. It just means you're going to die, but just a little bit slower. Well, you know, this is, is I'm, I'm really glad you raised this because so many times when you're having this conversation, people immediately divert it onto population. Oh, yeah, growth. Oh, yeah, population's growing so much. Say, well, half a sec, half a sec. Sure, you know, human population is growing. It's growing a lot slower than economic growth is growing. Mm. You know, the gro- growth in consumption is much faster than the growth of population. And generally, the population's growing amongst the very poorest people on Earth. Now, if the billion poorest people on Earth disappeared, it wouldn't make any difference to our environmental crisis at all because they're consuming almost nothing. And they have no access to these resources, exactly. If if the billion richest people on Earth disappeared, that would solve the whole problem. Bang! It would be gone. And as soon as you start looking at it in those terms, and I'm not suggesting anyone gets disappeared, but as soon as you start seeing it in those terms, you think, oh, actually... We're just looking at this all wrong. When you see the enormous consumption, not just of the billion richest people, but just of the hundred million richest people on Earth, you find that it's those people who are using the lion's share of almost 
everything. Exactly. This isn't about people's basic needs being met. This is about greed. This yep. is about mm. a huge hunger for every kind of resource, whether it be eating bluefin tuna sushi or... Or, ha- or hunting endangered species to the point yeah, of extinction. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. you know, to the point of habitat destruction, whereby if bees eventually die out, then it means that we're going to have massive devastation to our access to the fucking food chain. Yeah. So this, this is, this is, I have to thing. think one thing that's interesting you brought up minute ago Dane it, and, and I hate I hate to blame because you know you start to blame people right and you know it's not just them who's to blame but mm. but, but America I can't help but if they, when they write the books when they're on the we're on the spaceship with the last few people will survive you know and they're going God, how did this happen there's a point at the, at the end of the second world war where that idea suddenly yep. spreads mm. and obviously the fight that happened who's to say if communism would have had a good run or not? That's not you know that, that yeah. one 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 side wins in this in the in the twentieth century, and it now has just proliferated this this vision, which I think is interesting when you bring up God actually, because when you when you think of God, uh, I, I'm not a religious Jew in any way, but when I was a kid, there's some things you remember, and I remember you know Ten Commandments stuff, and I reckon some of that stuff actually sticks with me, you know, like honor and whatever, and you know, it's like there's because it is, that's because it's common sense, and there's, there's a lot of good common there's sense. A lot, there's exactly. a lot of elements of of what is uh, now classified as institutional religion as basically it's just a. Uh, it's esoteric to most people. Is, is, is most people understand how that works. But I would say that in this era now, where you're like, okay, all that stuff that people reference is thousands of years old, and you know, some people really believe in it and like willing to kill everyone over it or whatever. Mm. But uh, we probably need a new version of that. That's maybe a good thing for so, us all to get together and, so far as and go. Religion? In terms of in terms of ideology, really, because yeah. that's kind of uh, just just what seems to be missing. Because I think what you, what George does, and when I pick up one of your books or read one of your articles, I, I, I'm subscribing to your ideology in a way. But I don't want to be rude. But yeah. there's a lot of people who who haven't got the capacity to fully understand what you're putting across in a lot of your books and articles. That's not that's not their fault in many mm-hmm. cases, but it's it's a reality, right? You, you can get your article on The Guardian every week online, right? But not everyone's kind of fully able to understand every element of it. It's so, an outrage. Not everyone in Britain is reading my articles. <laughs> not the, even, not, well, a third of Americans don't even, can't even read it functionally. That's just, just well, is it? No, one in five, yeah. sorry. 20, 20% of Americans but, are functionally but, literate. But so. thou shall not waste resources, right? Yeah. <laughs> As a sentence... Every person on the planet to a level can understand that. And, and actually, maybe that's mm. where we're going to end up with is mm. trying to find this new... I'm not going to use the word new commandments because that's yeah, a bit of I a mean, struggle. I, I don't yeah. think we need a religion, but we do no, need not, a story. We yeah. need a story. We need a narrative which tells us who we are, how we got here, and where we're going. Yeah. And we all need narratives. You know, p- people think that it's political parties or political leaders that change the world. It's not. It's big political stories. You know, if you yeah. look at the history of the past few thousand years i mean every major transformation religious or political has happened partly as a result of a new story coming along and and it's always it's a story always with the same Mm. structure it's what i call the restoration story and it goes like this it's um the land has been thrown into disorder by powerful and nefarious people working against the interests of humanity but the hero or heroes um stand up against those people confront them against and against the odds overthrow them and restore order to the land this is the lord of the rings story the Mm. narnia story the harry potter story the bible story you know it's a very common narrative structure but it turns out to be absolutely essential 
to political transformation and indeed to religious transformation. It's unless you're telling a story which has got that structure, which you can adapt, you know, in, to any yeah. ends just about, people aren't listening. They don't hear what you're saying because it's mm. just blather. It's just data pouring at them and it bounces off because we're not creatures of data. We're creatures of narrative. You know, we, mm. when we try to interpret the world, when we try to make sense of it, the sense we seek is not the sense that a scientist or a philosopher or a mathematician would, would recognise. It's narrative sense. That's yeah. what we're looking for. Are you telling me a story and does that story make sense to, to me? And the problem mm. is, in this technocratic age... Leaders, political leaders in particular, they're not telling stories. Mm. They're just saying, oh, we can manage that. We can manage that for you. Oh, don't worry about problem. that. We yeah, don't worry about that. Our most recent yeah. demagogue or populist is like Donald Trump because well, he, he tells stories. That's right, exactly. The demagogues are filling the gap. You know, where, where, where politics has failed, mm -hmm. partly because it's failing to tell compelling stories, the demagogues are filling the gap. And they're telling a restoration story, a very horrible restoration story, which basically... The land has been thrown into disorder by the powerful, by the uh, powerful and nefarious forces of multiculturalism, of of women, of people of colour, of all these people who are destroying the greatness of our nation and the purity of our nation. And we, the heroes, with our uniforms and our slogans and our our, hmm. our, our military music, will overthrow these people and restore order and purity to the land. It's a restoration mm. story, but it's a really dark horrible, unpleasant version of that story. But, you know, people are listening to that story because we're not hearing alternative stories being put out there. Yep. Alternative stories such as you know, the land has been thrown into disorder by the powerful and nefarious force of the economic elite, which pulling all the money into its own pockets and atomizing and ruling, telling us that we're all individuals, we don't, you know, we, we, we sit we, apart. We are to blame. So, for yeah. example, when yeah, it's like emission, right. emissions exactly. tax and carbon right. tax, so Putting it's the like, blame on us. we're to blame. We should try and recycle. Like, that's you shouldn't right. change your corporate practices. It's because, don't ask for a straw. Don't yeah. fucking make straws. Yeah, 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 then yeah. there'll be exactly. no straws to ask exactly. for. Exactly. That's exactly it. They transfer the blame. Exactly right. But we, the heroes of the story, can come together, build community build you know, actual physical community, build political community, community which bridges between different groups of people, creating much bigger and more diverse groups, and out of that build a politics of belonging, restoring order to the land. Now, that, that's the kind of story we need yeah. to be telling. But yeah. unless we're telling it, the fascists tell their restoration story and terrible things happen as yeah, a result. Yeah, and, and, and because mm. the, the restoration story serves... And that's the mm. thing is that when you hear... Like, and I completely agree about narrative, and, uh, and I guess because, you know, essentially your human existence for a large part is, you know, your rationalisation and dealing with your internal monologue. Mm. And w sometimes what can arise from that is uh, obviously uh, ego as well as mm. inner truths. Mm. And that is what fascists and populists appeal to, is the mm. ego, and they appeal to, mm. like, people's cognitive dissonance. And they're mm. like, this is the thing, and we will do take care of it. You don't need to actually pay attention to what's going on around you, just mm. listen to this narrative. And yeah. that kind of serves people... And this, for me, it's an interesting one because, I mean, economic growth and the chance of economic growth outside of historic, like, monarchistic systems or merchantilist systems uh, was the uh, propaganda used to justify racism. Yeah. I so mean, for me, that's, that's one of the reasons I take umbrage well, of capitalism. Well, I, would, I would put it the other way around, that racism was the propaganda required for colonial grabbing and acquisition. Yeah. You know, that, that you had to... In order to justify the colonial project, mm -hmm. you had to say the people we're taking all the land and all the wealth and all the labour from 
are inferior and need to be civilized by us. Yeah. And that is the origin of racism as a mass phenomenon, as a sort of as as a generalized ideology. That's where it came from. It was an it was a necessary justification of the unjustifiable. Yep. And, and we're stuck with that legacy today. To this day, where, where anywhere you see a prevalent or new free economy, it will be accompanied by racism. Mm. Guaranteed. And it's amazing that we've actually hit this point because I'm going to move to my question, which is so linked to what we've just discussed, because <laughs> that question is amazing. But the, the thing that like, Dane knows I'm going to bring it up, which is when you talk about racism, and I'd love to hear your take on it, George, is is how, and, and this podcast won't be going out as this event has happened, but how should we be treating Liam Neeson oh, yeah. on the basis of an interview he did, which some listeners may have their head uh, not on social media or in the news, where he's come out and told a story. This is my take on what happened. He told a story about how uh, a friend of his was attacked and then he wanted to uh, seek revenge uh, because of that. But then somehow, in that telling of that story, decided to reference the fact that the, the person that attacked his friend was black. And therefore, in the sentences that he put together for the publication said... I was going out looking for some black... For a random black person. Black he actually said, said, said for a week. He actually said black bastard, bastard which yeah. I thought was one of those words that I remember hearing when I was going to football yeah, in the early school. 90s. Old, and school, you, old school, mate. It's old yeah. school. Old school. And, and so, and so I, my question to you is, how should he be treated after this event? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know how he should be treated, but I know that, you know, what he's saying has a deep history. You know, I mean, it's the lynch mob mentality, isn't it? Exactly. It's like one of one of their people got one of our people, so we'll take out one of their people, yeah, or yeah. several of their people. Yeah, and what you find, you know, when you look at the history of lynchings, um, particularly in in the US, often the alleged crime that starts it off, like a white woman raped by a black man, turns out to be completely fictitious in the first place. You know, that mm. actually what they wanted was a lynching. Yeah. And so then you look for the justification and then you say, right, okay, you know, oh, he he, he looks like a suspect, Let, let's lynch him. You know, that's, that's the way it, it happened because it was a way of terrorising the black population in order to basically keep it in a state of submission you know there are large numbers of people yeah, in the submission, US submission and, submission and fear yeah and, and uh, not only was that a justification for the uh, you know for lynching also uh, when uh, the cotton gin was threatened by hemp being used as a textile to challenge it then uh, it was rebranded as marijuana because the Rockefellers paid newspapers to criminalise it and their campaign was on the basis that if white women smoke reefer with jazz musicians, they'll end up fornicating with them. And that was their justification for illegalising marijuana, yeah. that it will make Amazing. white women sleep with black um, jazz musicians. Yeah. But yeah. it's interesting that you, you've, you've cited history as the kind of uh, such a reference point for what Neeson said because because the thing that's so clear to me whether whatever side you're going to fall on in this conversation is it's such a toxic modern mm. uh, response the, the whether, whether you know you, we, yeah. we can talk about him yeah. the response was just like oh my god we're we're disgusting aren't we right now like nobody really wants to hear anything from anyone like yeah. and obviously Dane I know you you were very you didn't get involved at all you didn't want to discuss it with anyone on Twitter no no I really wanted to leave <laughs> let me stay out of this discourse uh, but you got you got you got stuck in Dane 
I got stuck in. Uh, yeah, actually, seriously, you what, know, heated. Well, yeah, because a, pre- a, pre- a previous guest on the podcast, uh, Jonathan Pye, who had you know uh, objected to the fact that Liam Neeson had admitted to this, uh, these ra- I guess racially uh, toxic beliefs, and had apologised for them, and then uh, had said, but was lamenting the fact that the internet had still called for him to be, I guess, in inverted commas, cancelled, or he or Liam Neeson had still been vilified, and he didn't understand why that was. And I was like, well, just because. You know, you're being irrational doesn't justify you going out and, you know, with the intention to commit murder or with a uh, with a kosh. And it's not like it was like an impulse that lasted for 24 hours and then he slept on it and calmed down. He was doing it for a week. Yeah. Mm. Now, the thing is, I can't walk around with a kosh for a week. Mm. If I walk around with a look on my face with the intention to cause harm to somebody, as we have seen, again, in America through viral videos, the police will be called. Mm. If I'm serving selling water the police will be called if i have a barbecue in a park the police will be called so the fact that you're able to have an offensive weapon and walk around in northern ireland where there's very little black people anyway Mm. with a kosh i mean kind of speaks to the level of privilege you have even the fact that like you know there are people now who are having to uh you know appear in court because of historical transgressions and historical atrocities they've committed Liam Neeson is not going to suffer any real reprimand for his actions or his revelation and for me it's like how should we treat him we can treat him the same way but you know he is open to ridicule as I said to you before like you know if you shut yourself at a party we went to 30 years ago 30 years down the line I might be like hey George remember that time you shut yourself you might feel bad about it but you know as a faux part it's going to be open to ridicule that's the same that's always mm. been a part of you know you should be thankful it's just that yeah it could have been something much worse because the thing is like if only you knew yeah well this <laughs> is it and the, the thing is so for me it's like how he should be treated I'm not calling for any cancellation on the thing is not that anything would happen in the first place I won't, but, watch, I won't watch Taken anymore yeah I so, but I never really watched Taken in the first place because that, that film itself in itself is very xenophobic so mm. You know, the idea that, oh, my daughter's kidnapped, so I'm going to go find a bunch of oh, any Eastern Europeans. He's shit films recently. Well, he has, but on, on, on all of his well, films, the same, the same all film. of his films, yeah, it's the same yeah. film, centered around revenge. Yeah. And see, and my issue is, it's like, you know, that... It's worth pointing out, he did have an earlier career where he was quite... Uh, he was in like he a was lot in of Schindler's List. He was in Schindler's List, I but mean, before that, just... he was in like quite a few period things. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, Liam Neeson's body of work is pretty... Pretty, pretty major. But, That's fine. His body but, of work can yeah. be major, but I can still call you a fucking prick. I like. I, I don't care about your body of work. This is the thing. You, you, you can be in the same way that if you made a film I didn't like, you'd be open to criticism. Then mm. you're open to criticism here as well. Sure. So for me, the issue is like it's not really about how we're treating him. More, the, my issue is like it's not. I don't really necessarily care about much about his revelation. But like I said, the reason why myself, in particular, and other black people take umbrage with this admission is that whether or not he was able to carry it out, like he went out with the intention of punishing an innocent person for one person's crime. Mm. Now, supposed crime. I mean, yeah, supposed know, the crime whole thing up to this point, yeah, the whole thing could have been made up or could, the whole thing could be a campaign. This whole thing could even be a marketing campaign to, to, uh, to you know, to, um, to promote his film. The issue is, is that because we are all aware of historical instances, even as recently as 40 years, equally as recently as 40 years ago, whereby, as you said, we know that atrocities and... Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, assaults on black people and murders of black people under the guise of protecting a white woman's virtue happen very frequently. Even when Dwayne Brooks was questioned by the police after Stephen Lawrence was murdered by the Elton craze, one of the first things the police asked them was that, what did you do to piss them off? Hmm. Were you talking to one of their girls? Because that, that's, a, that's the situation we live in. I have an ex-girlfriend whereby we're at dinner and we have a conversation that's heated. She'll start crying and she starts crying at the table. And I'm telling you, within the interracial relationship, I don't necessarily have the privilege of you behaving that way if it's unjustified. If you are, you know, feeling victimised or, you know, are abused, then by all means, then you need the authority to help you or you can leave. But if you're crying at the table and someone sees me, there's going to be the instant assumption that you're being antagonised or being threatened. Mm -hmm. So you can't just cry because it's fun or you're going to, it's going to curry favour or you want to be dramatic because I may actually be in physical danger because of your actions. And this is, and this is my issue, with Liam, and the other issue is, is that all these people are like, yeah, but it was years ago and it's fine. That's fine. But see, like, if we look at the issue of Emmett Till, Emmett Till was murdered because a white woman told people that he had wolf-whistled her mm. and he was killed for that. Mm. She's gone on later to admit that she had lied about the whole thing. That was over 40 years ago. That was 40 years ago plus. Mm. No reprisals. Mm. No calls for her head. No ridicule whatsoever. Mm. So you're telling me that you can actually lie and it can result in a young black man's murder, innocent black man's murder, and it's fine. And people don't see where, you know, some mm. of this outrage may come from. As I said, I'm not really calling for him to lose his job or anything like that, but he's at least open to being called a prick. I think holding these stupid pretty, yeah. beliefs that's not that's not too, that, I don't know if that's a problem, but it's all these people like, oh, now the internet says he's racist and blah, blah, blah. And the internet says much worse. Well, I was about to say, that's one of the bizarre issues, isn't it? It's just how we respond to these Well, it's, these the new, it's, a new, well it's a new offensive word that a lot of white people consider being called a racist is more offensive to them than the existence of racism mm -hmm. in its institutional and structural incarnations. That if you say the word racist, and even then I was having a lot of back and forth with people and they're like, yeah, you're a racist and you're saying he's a racist. No, if anything, I'm saying he's prejudiced. Mm. Now this thing There is a big difference Between racism and prejudice Because prejudice is, Might be a beliefs You hold about somebody Whereas racism is If you act on those prejudices That yeah. can be racism But there's also Something else going on Here which is very interesting You know This revenge fantasy You know And his movies Recently exactly. Have all been Revenge fantasies And they're incredibly popular And violent but they And very popular massively Yeah And there is this revenge fantasy at the heart of modern life, you know, that we, we, we tell ourselves, you know, we've overcome all that violence and we just lead, lead these peaceful lives. And, you know, J.G. Ballard said the suburbs dream of violence. And, and there's this sort of sense that, you know, beneath this veneer of peace is this fantasy about hurting other people about attacking about fighting well particularly in american culture or, or, or anglo-saxon protestant culture because it's essentially a death cult there's mm. not really any other country in the world where you have an entire organization which is existed to lobby to keep civilians armed mm. that doesn't exist anywhere else and the thing is people might say we have a right to a gun but then your second amendment rights so everyone knows are culturally biased were mm. created in order to arm working class white men in the effect that they would have reprisals after the end of slavery. Mm. That's when the Second Amendment was kind of brought into play. I think, I think the other thing just about, about that Nissan stuff that sticks in my mind is um, 
if I had committed uh, some poor act mm-hmm. and I was celebrated enough that you would want to hear me talk in public, generally, you know, like or write an article about me, if I was going to confront that publicly, I would probably align myself. I hear Dane say this to me regularly about many scenarios, which is if I, if I had wronged something, I would then want to be seen to be aligning with a charitable cause or some kind of institution that is trying to progress that. So uh, if you admitted to domestic violence as a Hollywood actor or music star, you would then, if you're going to say comments like he made in that kind of context, you come out and say, you know what, and part of the reason I'm bringing this up today is because I've donated Mm -hmm. um, a third of my fee from this film to this cause because I really want to bring about that. The fact that he's done it so mindlessly... Right. In, in lieu of his upcoming film, which is another revenge fantasy. Yeah, it seems... <laughs> well, it, it seems seem, like publicity for the film. It's well, completely but, publicity but, but for also, the film. But also kind of adds to the, that, you know, just fire and fuels that fire that we don't confront some of our major issues with a kind of just implicit thoughtfulness. Like, that's the bit that gets to me. Like, if you took some of the world's most celebrated people, uh, you know... Uh, so, so many of them have committed infidelities on their partners, right? And if you wanted to kind of, should we talk? We need, to, we all should maybe talk about infidelity. And is, is, is it working? Us all getting married? You know, we should make half people of the world's getting divor- divorced, right? You know, maybe we should talk about this, you know? It would, it would help if these people were, were trying to bring that narrative to a really clear. Well, my point, which is my point discussion. exactly, yeah. And, and the thing is, it's like again, I've had a lot of my detractors and people that have defended him being like, he, he he did something wrong, and you know he's he he you know he, he's come forward and said it, and maybe it's like yeah. So how is it? What's it, what's what's been the effect of it? That's that's my point as well. What's it done? Mm. You coming forward and, and using the word black as clickbait and trying to encourage encourage this discourse and, and creating this whole furore. Was it was it done because? None of you have come and now come forward as a result of revealing your historic prejudices. So he's not inspired you that much. Like mm. I said, there's not been any active donation whereby he's actively working to combat that level of prejudice. Mm. So that's my other point is that he said it. But, and that's, you, that's fine, you said it. But by the same token, you are able, allowed to have this irrationality of thought. So am I. If I want to call you a prick and an idiot and prejudiced, I'm going to do that without having your little bitch friends like <laughs> jump up and try and defend you. And then someone's like, yeah, but have you never had prejudiced thoughts? Whether or not I've had them, what I haven't done is acted on them and waited outside for a week trying to find somebody to hit with a kosh. Hmm. So it was another level, right? It was another level. And the fact that race really didn't have anything to do with it, right? That's the other issue is is, is that the idea of of anyone having something being wronged in in their life and then wanting to seek revenge. Race had no bearing on that. Didn't even name his friend. Didn't even name his friend. Didn't even speak about over the course of 40 years whether or not, like, the person was apprehended anyway, you know, or if there was a a testing kit that was taking place. And then, which begs the question to me, so you're working in Hollywood and in the advent of all of this hashtag Me Too revelations, oh, so you haven't found the image again to go and get revenge on on behalf of one of your friends or even reveal a story where you've seen another one of your friends be or heard another one of your friends be a victim of a sexual assault. Mm. Have you not spoken on that? Like and all, in, over the course of two generations and four decades, Me Too has been happening all this time. And even now, Liam Neeson, who is so principled with his medieval values of defending the virtue of women, you've heard all of these stories of sexual assault within Hollywood. And you've not found even the fact that you were in a film about fucking sex trafficking. Ashton Kutcher has a whole charity based on combating child trafficking. Mm. Where is Liam Neeson? Now, the thing is, what annoys me more is this, this whole need about revenge is that, like, like you said, George, we have wars without predicated on revenge. For example, 9-11. September yeah, yeah. 11th, Twin Towers came down. Majority of the people involved were Saudis. 
up until now, American forces have not touched Saudi Arabia. It's interesting that because the, 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 uh, the Afghanistan war... Which still going on. still going. So it's, the, it's, not, it's not a war, it's an occupation. Yeah. And the person who was supposed to be leading al-Qaeda was not even found in fucking Afghanistan. No, it's Pakistan, wasn't it? Well, there it? you go. But it's, it's, it's amazing thing. That's, that's, that's coming up for 20 years. Mm. That, that war's been going Yeah, but that was 20 years ago, so who gives a fuck back then? Because <laughs> apparently that's the logic. If it happened, yeah. if it was historic, then it doesn't matter. But it, it kind of seems... Yeah, that, that, that's really stuck with me when I read something about that the other day. It's almost 20 years. Yeah, well, what you realise, you know, in the response to 9-11 was... Uh, it was a bit like Liam Neeson with, you know, going out to get someone who looked like the person who thought... Exactly. You know, it was like, so, oh, those brown-skinned people did it, so let's go and kill some brown-skinned exactly. people. Be, uh, you know, there was no relationship, whatever. Whatever, with Saddam oh, Hussein. Well, Saddam Hussein, I mean, Iraq had nothing to do with it Absolutely at all. nothing. Never Quite committed an opposite. act of terrorism against the United States. Well, it was a ever. secular regime, you know, and actually Saddam Hussein... Elected by the fucking Americans, I hasten yeah, to yeah, remind yeah, you. Yeah. I mean, he was, a, he was a total bastard, but he was a secular bastard. You know, yep. he, he didn't tolerate the jihadists. 300,000 Christians in Iraq at the time mm. of the invasion. And, and the, you know, so... But you're not going to touch Saudi Arabia, obviously, because that's an asset and it buys your weapons. Hmm. And, and your torture, currently, and your torture you know, implements. US and, yeah, exactly. US and UK weapons and torture implements pouring into Saudi Arabia at the moment so that it can pursue its war with Yemen, which is basically a genocidal war. Yep. The huge numbers of people dying, mostly civilians. Most of them got nothing to do with the conflict at all. Yep. Loads of children dying of malnutrition and disease as a result of this horrendous war all being financed by the US. And, yeah, you know, this was... Uh, not only were the attackers Saudis, but there's plenty of evidence linking them with crucial senior figures in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. yeah and no-one got touched. No one, there was no attempt to pursue those senior figures. Instead, you go and, go and attack two completely different countries. I mean, this... this you know, it was very much like that you know, Liam Neeson story. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe American planes should have just gone up and down the Saudi border waiting to see someone. Hope yeah, they yeah. bump into Well, they've been there. Well, we say that, but they've been there almost two decades trying yeah. to find somebody to blame. And even though they found somebody who wasn't in Afghanistan and Iraq at the time, they're still mm. there occupying. Well, and, and, you know, Saudi Arabia has been a fomenter of jihadi terrorism around the world for decades now. Yeah. Um, it 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 has created the whole um, Wahhabi fundamentalism yep. mm. that that motivates m many of those terrorists, um, and yet it still is treated as a crucial strategic Western asset, mm. um, and it does the most horrendous things within the nation mm. and outside the nation, and yet you know, even when they they're called upon to comment whether it's Theresa May or Donald Trump or their predecessors, they will say only the blandest possible things. Mm. <laughs> I condemn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> I yes. condemn it. Yeah. I well, decry it. Well, yeah. well, clearly we would do things differently here. Or, yeah. While mm. at the same time, pouring tens of billions of weapons mm. into their hands. It's frightening, isn't it? It's an extraordinary thing. That's war, but, war economy. Mm. And it's going back to yeah. the... 
point of economic growth. It's one of the most, uh, you know, profitable business models mm, yep, in yep. the Western world. So, mm. yeah, if we when we talk about it, for people that are for economic growth, one of the biggest growths of the economy is the war economy. So, yeah, it's frightening. Yeah. But in regard to in regard so to Mr. Neeson, yeah, what should, I, we, how should we treat him like a prick for a bit? Yeah, and that's, that's about all, right, isn't that's it? it? That's pretty. That's, about, that's like, about right. And treat him like a prick and be like, then, oh, you're a dick. And then if he does like, and this is uh, you know, Dane is a is a reasoned man. If he comes out and he does something of uh, value to the conversation that he has been yeah. accidentally or deliberately or however was advised by his publicist yeah, however they've talked it through and, it, and it's ended up happening if he now actively brings something positive and to that debate and that discussion then we will come back on this podcast and give him some credit because that is a thing if you can I, I think that is a really yeah, important thing you can thing open to redemption you, you, can, can, you can atone you can atone for the yeah. things you do wrong and, and, and right now he, he probably isn't. But in the meantime, he, fuck you and fuck your supporters and, then, and fuck anybody yeah, the who tells me... Thing is and, just, fuck you, yeah, and fuck you for anybody who tells me how I need to feel about it. I don't need yeah. to tell me how to feel about it. If I slap your mum 10 years ago and I tell you today, you'll be unhappy about it. And just because mm. I apologise, that doesn't dictate how soon you want to forgive me. It's a, it's a very valid point. One more question before One we go. Question. Before we go, which is, which is Dane's question. Uh, uh, yeah, so... Um, I guess my question is keeping with the theme because, as I said, it's it's very refreshing for me to hear somebody, you know, talk about these issues and have these discussions outside of a political or a theological paradigm. And uh, my, I guess, my question is, like I said, with this, uh, such an emphasis on capitalism and corptocracy and plutocracy in the West, do we still need to care about nations? Mm. It's a really interesting question, this, and it's one that I've puzzled over a lot. Uh, so the nation state, you know, we, we, we think of the nation state as just being, a state of being, you know, mm-hmm. like it's always been there. Yeah. Well, it's an incredibly recent invention. Yeah. In the early 19th century, you go to people on the European continent and say, what nation do you belong to? Most people on the continent would have struggled to tell you. Hmm. Because they would say what village they belong to. Mm-hmm. They might say what region they belong to. And they might say what empire mm-hmm. that region was part of. But the idea of them being part of a nation state just didn't impinge on most people's consciousness. Because even in places where nation states existed, mm-hmm. they were um, actually a very weak force in people's lives. But now we imagine that nothing can happen except through the brokerage of the nation state. Now, yeah. they have their uses... Mm-hmm. but sometimes they can be a massive impediment to the kind of change that we need to see, especially when you're looking at global issues which transcend national boundaries, such as climate breakdown. Now, you know, so far, there's been some weak agreements internationally, but they've been constantly hampered by every nation pointing to every other nation and saying it's their fault. Yeah. Or, or oh, we can't do anything because, look, the Chinese are building coal coal-fired power stations and the Chinese are saying well you know, why should we do anything when you've been burning all this fossil fuel for, for generations and you know you've, you've had all the growth that's come from it. We're not thinking like global citizens no. we're, we're balkanised, we're bunkered in our own nations and saying it's their fault over there saying Whereas America we, first I, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, an, I'm well, a nationalist anywhere, you know, yeah, anywhere, Britain yeah. first, anywhere Britain, first, yeah, Britain first. Anywhere, as soon as you start saying my nation first mm then you you block the channels towards the kind of solutions that we desperately need. Yeah. You know, the, so many of our huge issues are now international issues. They're global issues. Mm-hmm. They transcend anything that a nation state can do by itself. And we've had this massive era of globalisation. 
And there's been some good things about it. There's been some bad things about it. But what has not gone alongside it is a globalization of democracy. Mm. We had some very powerful global agencies, the UN Security Council, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, the World Trade Organization, um, European Central Bank, for instance. But where's the democracy to hold them to account? None of them, none Mm. of those ones I've named in any way resemble democracies. So you take the UN, you know, you've got this collection of 190-something nation-states. The five permanent members of the Security Council, US, UK, Russia, France and China, any one of those can veto a decision made by all the other nation-states. A single veto trumps the will of the whole of the world's people of one of those those states. You've got the IMF and the World Bank where it's one dollar, one vote. The, so the, the, the countries with the biggest financial stake are the ones which have the biggest say in their organisation. And you need 85% of the vote in order to get a decision. Well, the US has got more than 15% of the vote in both organisations, oh, yeah. with the result that it's got a veto there. So the US has got a veto in the UN Security Council, the whole of the UN. It's got a veto in the World Bank, veto in the IMF. And it uses that veto to sustain what is in effect still a colonial economy. Because the IMF and the World Bank, for example, they work largely in poor nations, but they're controlled entirely by rich nations. And they impose on those poor nations what the rich nations want, what's good for the banks and the corporations in the rich companies. You must pull down your capital controls. You must pull down your foreign exchange controls. You must restructure your economy to allow us in and to come in and buy up all your assets, to buy your land, to use your labour, to make our goods much cheaper labour than we get at home. As well as observing exporting tariffs and, and, you know, obeying along our economic lines of protectionism. So that even though you're a little more resource rich than, you know, a landmass like the UK, mm-hmm. for some reason, we have it in our idea that you depend on us. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you were to close mm-hmm. your borders and not give us access to any of your indigenous resources, yeah. we'd be fucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's basically, it's, it's, it's a colonial economy under a new name. And it's brokered by the fact that we have these oligarchic organisations running global governance. Um, and what we desperately need, you know, and, and I'm not saying let's get rid of all forms of globalization because there's some forms which are really great, you know, where we start talking to each other. We have a means yeah. of communicating mm. globally in ways we never had before. We can generate global movements for global change in really exciting potential ways. But we're constantly blocked, A, by the fact that we get trapped behind national borders and we tend to see the nation state as being preeminent and B, by the fact that there are no global organisations that are in any sense democratic. So we need to democratise the way the world is run. Mm. And sometimes that means nation states saying, we're not going to be the primary unit of decision making. We're going to have um, either democratically assembled global bodies to decide on certain issues. I'm, a, I'm in favour of a world parliament. Um, but also at the national level, we'll devolve decision-making um, the other direction as well, where the smallest possible unit should be making the decisions. You know, obviously with something like climate breakdown, you need the biggest possible unit. Mm-hmm. You need everybody on earth involved in that decision-making mm-hmm. and an end to the stupid competition between nations about who's going to do the least. <laughs> But when it comes to, say, 
you know, what's going to happen in your neighborhood, it needs to be the neighborhood which makes the decision. Yeah. And you don't, mm. you know, instead we get this micromanagement from the center because a nation state is the preeminent political unit. Well, we've got to be much more diverse. We've got to have a plurality of political units. Yeah. And in your opinion, and this is slightly <laughs> depressing, where does this end? Like, because I often think... Oh, oh, one can, thing- I, can I answer yeah. that? Because uh, yeah. that's, that's the thing that's going to end. And I, I, like, I like this part because yeah. it's, uh, when you, if you have these conversations about like, the fact that, you know, as you said, that racism was able to fuel the capitalist machine, is that like, while we, uh, we continue and some people continue to uh, perpetuate an idea of white supremacy, which uh, is used for the backdrop of the consumption of resources and exploiting nations with a uh, black or brown uh, predominantly black or brown uh, populations is that, like I said, these voices are going to run out and we're not at Mars yet. So the way it ends is that it's one of two things. If you want to continue to uh, purport this idea of eugenics and, uh, you know, uh, and global genocide, then these people might eventually die out. But then it means that you'll be remaining with a workforce which uh, does not have the competence in order to uh, provide themselves with resources. Or you're going to have uh, complete reliance on uh, technology, which is obviously open to human error. So there's the fact that technology also requires the consumption of resources in order for it to be powered. Essentially, what you have then is that by reducing the biodiversity of the uh, human population on the planet, that will have to result to more incestuous practices, which means that you are introducing a greater uh, opportunity for uh, chronic uh, infections as well as uh, being predisposed to have kind of uh, genetic disorders. So that's mm. how it ends, with people fucking their sisters and uh, having no clean water. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of a leap there, Dane, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm way ahead, George. I'm way, I'm thinking way, way ahead. Right, he's right at the end. The, the refusal to acknowledge think, like a global community yeah. is not going to end well. But it's interesting because I think, you know, like I say, I read your, your, your stuff, George, and, you know, love, and love it. And then I get to this point where I kind of go, God, like, where does this end for people? And, and if, if our listeners, who are, I think, uh, a, a, a mixed bag of people who maybe have different attitudes on the world, we attract different people because we have lots of different kinds of guests, uh, I, I kind of look at it and go, God, do they, do, does anyone understand just how bad this, <laughs> this ends? Because you talk about a story in our previous question, a yeah. narrative. You know, the, 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 the scenario we're looking at in even just 50 years... Is, I mean, it's really bad. It's well, bad. look, I mean, w- yeah, we we are, you know, this we have these supercharged brains. We have the capacity to do it differently. We don't have to, just because we're on this track, and we're heading down this one-way street towards a cliff. We do not have to drive over it. We can stop. We can slam the brakes on. We can decide to do a U-turn. We can go somewhere else. We can get out of the car altogether and walk. And take a look around us. And uh, the, the metaphors are beginning to run out now. But, <laughs> but, 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 you know, basically we have the opportunity to um, govern the world and, and the way it operates in a completely different way to the way it operates today, where it's not governed by corporate capital and demagogues. Um, it's not um, dominated by neo-colonialism and the seizure of other people's resources. You know, all the ideas are there. Everything we need to do has already been thought of. What we need to do is to come together and start implementing it. And where I see hope is that there are now very large numbers of young people 
coming out on strike. You know, we've got school strikes, we've got youth strikes, we've got people, uh, you know, Extinction Rebellion doing occupations. Uh, we're beginning to see, I think, the stirring of something really big here, which is basically a revolt by young people against the way the world is currently run, against the way in which we're being driven towards disaster. So many young people are seeing that now. They're recognising that the current global economy, the current political economy is completely unsustainable and that something needs to change radically. The will is there. Uh, the problem we face is that we're basically a society of altruists governed by psychopaths. Yes. Now, that is an illogical situation. It should not be allowed to persist. Why do we keep allowing psychopaths to come the to the, the fore Plato's and govern Republic people and because, much better yeah, than themselves? Plato's Republic, isn't it? Is yeah. So, so inferiors. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, you know, it, it's time. It's time for it's the revolt him. of the altruists. Yeah. yeah. The revolt of the people who care. The revolt of the people who are kind and decent and empathetic towards others and want society to flourish. Want other people to flourish. They don't want to just rob and grab and snatch from other people, but actually want to create a better society for everyone, a good society. We are the majority. Mm. And those who claim to dominate us, the psychopaths who have taken over in far too many nations, they are a very small minority. In psychic terms, you know, in terms of the way people's minds work, sure. a very small minority. Why do we allow them to govern us? That, th th this recognition... That it doesn't have to be that, that way. It doesn't, we don't have to be governed in this way. We don't have to be driven at each other's throats all the time, being told that everybody else is your enemy. That's the beginning. We mm. recognise the perverse situation we're in. Now, there are loads of ideas, some of which I've been trying to articulate myself, mm. particularly in the most recent book, for how we can actually transform that situation into something completely different. Well, I mean, it's, Dane will agree with me. It's just been a joy to talk to you. It's been such a joy. Oh, God. Finally. <laughs> Finally. And so, so, someone gets this shit. It's, it's, bigger, it's bigger than nation. It's bigger than religion. Mm. It's bigger than race. Not, without an earth, we're all screwed. Yeah, yeah. There's, there, is no, there is no coming back from it. It's my chance to also bring up uh, Star Trek First Contact, uh, <laughs> which is the film where uh, they say that the whole world changed once... They met the first aliens, which were which were. I mean, we would be we which would were, were, were which Vul know, Vulcans, which is and, lovely uh, and romantic. It's a we, nice idea. That's yeah, maybe one of our we, few choices. We say this, but we already refer to immigrants as aliens. Yeah. So if we already yeah. if we're already giving people that, but if it then, turned out there was a whole galaxy of, of spaceships going around, we're like, oh, we probably need to. Everyone needs to be on the same team over here. Well, <laughs> yeah. We change a whole new you problem. Say that, you say that, but uh, Donald Trump had to start space force. Yeah, it's which everyone seems to forget. I mean, the aliens, the aliens have always been the white European explorers. Yep. going to other parts of the world. Mm. And the first contact with indigenous peoples has always been catastrophic mm -hmm. for those peoples. Mm. It has led immediately to disease, to genocide, to the mass grabbing of resources, of labour, of land, mm. all the rest of it. Um, yeah, and the idea that, you know, even if there were such things as aliens from other galaxies, that they would come and bestow kindness and, and goodness to us, I think, you know, that's another... Complete fantasy. That's mm. you know, sadly, sadly. All they've got to do is look. Was, would, yeah. you'd, you'd come armed to the teeth. Yeah. If, you're, if, yeah. you're, if you're from the outside looking in, if, they, if this has been like the process of surveillance mm. over just the last hundred years of, hum of humanity, you'd be mm. like, bring everything. Mm. But you know, all these. So the Star Trek stories and all the other contact stories. 
I see them as basically a romanticization of Im- imperial yeah. exploration mm. and conquest, and and one huge and crashingly obvious metaphor, but that we refuse to grasp. You know, we refuse to see it. The aliens, you know, those weird-looking people. Those are people of other countries, of other ethnicities, you know, mm. and 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 we make them look as weird and scary and bizarre as we possibly can because that's the way we're choosing to see other people because that allows us to other them and then to grab their resources, to grab their bodies, to grab yeah. their labour and to, to, to do hum- what we to want. To dehumanise them as exactly. well. Exactly, exactly. And as you say, you know, we talk about immigrants as aliens. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's fascinating. Um, we, we've run out of time now. <laughs> It's cool. It's been an absolute pleasure, George. Thank you so yeah, much for coming. No, thank you. Um, thank where, you. where can the people who listen to our show find you? And what can they find? They can oh. find your books, of which, mm. of which I have a spare copy of one. And we were, I was actually going to maybe see if the... I if, want one. I want one. Yeah. Well, I was going to see if the, the, the follow, our followers, maybe we, we could and have some kind of thing where they could... They, they could, could crowdfund so I could have a book? Well, I've, I mean, there might be a way of getting you a book as well. But okay. the, maybe one of our followers would benefit from getting one of your books. So we might try and uh, do some kind of... Competition yeah, is it? Yeah, competition? Yeah, like some kind of be yeah, just because yeah. it's such a good. It's, it's a collection of your many of your articles. Well, that's not the most recent one. So okay, the most recent one. one. Well, so that one's called "How Did We Get Into This Mess?" So, so I kind of needed to write a follow up to that, which is called "Out of the Wreckage," which is basically how do we get out of right, this mess? Okay. I see. And there, you know, some of the stuff we've been talking about, I try to you know, work through what we're going to do to fix this multiple cock-up that we're currently in. Mm. And I don't claim to have all the answers, but, you know, we're moving towards them. OK, well, we'd love to get the, 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 the public who follow sure, us have people, a look, yeah, have a chance to read one of your books. And, and, and you're obviously uh, 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 The Guardian. And, and also your website has a massive, massive yeah, archive of your work, right? Ridiculously massive archive. I look back and I yeah. said, Jesus, well... All that fun I could have been having. <laughs> Instead, I was someone, writing articles. Yeah, the thing is, it's been a great pie, but someone's got to clean up, George. That's just yeah. the way the world is sometimes, you know. <laughs> Seen a few altruists to like sweep up everybody else. They've left all the, you know, they've trashed yeah. the place. Please, so. please go and check out George Dane would testify. It's it's it's, it's really sure. gonna benefit what you're bringing to the table in terms of these conversations at all these dinner parties, eh? Sure, finally. And I can now throw the book out on top of the, uh, the centrepiece and be like, oh, yes, yeah, in this book. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not leaving. You know, like I knew you have to do. Thanks so much. Lovely. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. Hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him at DaneBaptweets. Our guest was George Mombio. You can follow George on Twitter at George Mombio. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at the Howard Cohen. Thanks to Polly and Gelly. Subscribe to the show and please rate and review us on whichever platform you're listening from. Thanks for listening. And remember, question everything. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.